the Bridge Morning Show with Bill and Denise. And uh, we've been talking about this for a few days now, and uh, it's, our, it's our honor to have Pastor Davey Blackburn in the studio with us this morning. Davey, good morning. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here with you. Pa- pa- pastor uh, Kenneth Wagner over in the corner. That's right. Brought you in this morning. I know. Uh, uh, United. You both are actually uh, Kenneth, a lead pastor at United, teaching pastor, right? That's right. Teaching pastor. At That's United. right. But you're actually based out of where? Indianapolis, Indiana. Awesome. Yeah. So well, every so often get to fly in here, hang out with everybody, and man, yeah. what a great thing that is going on at United Church. You got that right. And that I, is so I, special. Uh, this morning, a couple minutes ago, the first time we've actually met, but yeah. I, but I attend United Milford campus, so okay. I'm in a, I see you. Uh, when you teach, but I'm not uh, in the same room normally. But that's so it's an honor that's to have awesome. you. Your testimony, I've I've uh, had the privilege of hearing a few times, and uh, I've seen some of your uh, your interviews and things online. And and I'm I'm just so I'm just so grateful that you would come in and share your story with us today, oh, yeah. especially this time of the year. This time of the year can be really hard mm-hmm. for yeah. people that have suffered loss, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to get into that a little bit and how. Uh, your phrase turning pain into purpose yeah. i want to talk about that but right. first let's can we just back up and tell us your story Dave? yeah okay yeah the the summary of it is um i was a pastor and church planter with my wife amanda in indianapolis and we planted in 2012 and we had just gotten the church really kind of established up and going you know when you plant a church you feel like that God called you to plant a forest, but dropped you in the middle of a parking lot. <laughs> and it's like, you That's have these big analogy. hopes and dreams and you can have a vision for what, you know, you think God's going to do, but man, there's a lot of soil to be tilled up and a lot of relationships we built. And it's hard work. It's a very yeah. uh, grueling process, but Amanda and I were just, you know, we were, we were, um, very, um, steadfast and just wanting to, wanted to see the Lord do something really incredible in Indianapolis. And we just got it. Established. I remember she looked at me in the fall of 2015. She was like, I think this is actually going to take. I think this is actually mm-hmm. going to take. Like, I think we've finally come to this place. We kind of got to this place where we're just like, okay, here we go. We're, we're making this thing happen. And the Lord is doing some incredible stuff. And then in November of 2015, November 10th specifically, I left my house um, early on a Tuesday morning and um, was going to the gym. And went and worked out and then came back to my house and I walked into my absolute greatest nightmare. Really, anybody would qualify as their greatest nightmare. Walked in to find Amanda uh, face down um, on our on our living room floor, um, mm-hmm. surrounded by blood. Mm-hmm. And what had happened, um, once we got her to the hospital and got everything in that really traumatic, frantic moment, kind of uh, settled, I was in the waiting room and doctors and investigators came in and informed me that three men had broken into our house. And she was shot three times. Mm. And um, at the time when I found her, she was unconscious, but she was breathing very laboriously. And so it didn't compute in my head that something was that drastically wrong. I didn't, I had no idea that, you know, there's some things out of place and looked disheveled, you know, and, and, but then it all kind of came into focus when they told me that. But in that moment, I had this fundamental belief that as a pastor who was following after God's will, God would never let anything bad happen to my family. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, God's setting us up for this miracle so that people in the hospital can come to know Christ and people in our city can yes. come to know Christ and testify the goodness of the Lord. And so I prayed with the doctors right there, big old bold prayer of faith, God heal her. And 24 hours later, she was um, pronounced officially deceased. And in that moment, my world's turned upside down. I'm now uh, found myself pastoring this church that we had started um, without my best friend, without my soulmate, without mm-hmm. my ministry partner. 
and um, now trying to figure out how to be a single dad. We had a 15-month-old at the time. He was in his crib while the invasion happened, and I, mm. he was untouched and unharmed. But we were pregnant with our second 13 weeks along, and so we lost mm. the baby as well. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of moments just flip your world upside down. And for the next several years, I was on a journey of trying to figure out how to heal and grieve and help other mm-hmm. people heal and grieve as well. Because yeah. we're ministering to this congregation, too, who are very close to Amanda as well. I saw some interviews with you on on the news. News TV, of course, was all, all over yep. this. And uh, within a, a day or so, mm-hmm. uh, you were being interviewed on the news. And I was... I was amazed by what you had to say yeah. about your about your faith, about God redeeming this. Yeah. Was that how do you do that? I mean, was that well? There's a lot that's involved within that. A lot of it has to do with the foundations that are built early in your childhood. I think some people don't have those early childhood secure, solid foundations. You know, especially as we work with people now in pain and trauma, we realize that so much of your family of origin how your parents brought you up. Did they bring you up in church? Did you have a good experience in church? Did you really learn to trust in the Lord as a good father? Was that the established foundation? Did you see him as a good father so that therefore you see things that come into your life or that are removed from your life coming through the hands of a good father? I did have that. So I was very blessed to have a very strong foundation of faith. I joke around that I had a drug problem growing up that was drugged to church every time the doors were open. (laughs) But in that time, I was continually being deposited into my soul. Mm -hmm. All of these stories of men and women of faith, watching my family, you know, go through difficult times and watching them walk through that with a trust and a, um, a resolve in the Lord and, and then watching the Lord show up in their life. And so that, that established a foundation for me that I knew I have no idea what's going on here. I have no idea, God, what you're trying, like Mm -hmm. what you're going to do in this, but I do trust you. It's almost like the disciples in John chapter six, when Jesus lays down this hard teaching and everybody leaves because they can't accept the teaching. He looks at the disciples and goes, "Uh, are you not going to go as well? And they're like, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And that's Mm -hmm. what it felt like for me. It was like, I have no idea where to turn. I only know what to do, what I know what to do. And it was like kind of muscle memory. And so, and then a lot of that too is shock. And that's where kind of that Mm -hmm. muscle memory comes in where you're like, you're just operating out of like what was already in you in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the Holy Spirit of God in those moments too, just becomes so near and the deep, dark trenches of your pain. If you will allow him, he will show up. Scripture says he's near to the brokenhearted. Scripture says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And it's the presence of God that really brings us a peace that passes all understanding. And and that's what you saw those couple of days afterwards. So I say it's a combination of shock and faith and you know, yeah. all of these things yeah. rolled in together that allowed me to... Now, after that shock wears off, everybody goes through in any kind of traumatic or, or, or you know loss or any kind of those situations, they go through a really deep, dark night of the soul mm-hmm. where there's a, there's a dark depression. I think sometimes that we... We don't want to accept that as believers. We're like, you know, you kind of just whitewash things. Like, everything's good, right? I'm fine. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to church and how you doing? I'm good, even if you're not good. But the reality is, as many of us are walking around and we are deeply hurting and we're afraid to actually confront those negative, deep, um, painful emotions. And ironically, that's actually what keeps us stuck in those. So we, we try to escape them and numb them or push I, I them aside, push down. right? Suppress them. And that's what actually keeps us paralyzed in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I heard you share um, 
with Perry Noble at church, uh, something you called Run to the Roar. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, I actually learned this from uh, Pastor Levi Lesko, who's a friend of mine, and he pastors a church called Fresh Life Church in in Montana. But he wrote a book called um, Through, uh, Through the Eyes of a Lion, where he talks about the loss of his daughter. And I actually read that book right after Amanda passed away. Ironically, I had heard him teach on it two weeks before Amanda passed away. So the Lord was preparing my wow. heart. And I put that book on reserve in the library before Amanda passed away. Mm. It became available three days later. So you see even mm. just a thread of the providence of the Lord. But he teaches this concept called Run Toward the Roar. And what it, what it means is, you know, we've all seen National Geographic. And you've got these wildebeest or these zebras that go down to the watering hole. And, you know, um, the lions are kind of hunting. Well, uh, lions hunt through gender roles. So the, the male lion is actually not the hunter. It's the female lion. The male line is more bark than he is bite, if you know what I mean. The females do all of the work, you know, not unlike the human species, right? <laughs> and, um, and so what the, what the male line is tasked to do is to get up on his haunches, to flare out his mane, and to roar at the, at the prey to scare the prey into an ambush that the females have set up. And so what the prey needs to do is counterintuitive. It needs to run toward what scares them, not away from it. Because if they run away from what scares them, it ends up booby trapping them. And the same thing is true about our emotions. In fact, scripture tells us in First Peter, says that the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he could devour. Well, as believers, he can't devour us, right? He can't rob from us what God has given us in, a, in salvation. There's a security and a sealing of that by the Holy Spirit. But what he can do is he can paralyze our effectiveness for the kingdom. He can get us to stall out by scaring us away from confronting the deep, painful emotions that are going on in our life. And so what we need to do is actually counterintuitive, is run toward the things that scare us. So what I mean by that is like anything that triggers those painful emotions rather than suppressing them, rather than trying to keep them at bay, if you do that, it's going to booby trap you later. It comes out later sideways, Mm. right? Mm. And we all know people who have for years walked around with bitterness. And I would say this, I'll challenge people that when you encounter someone who you're like, man, that person's just an angry, bitter person. Instead of being judgmental about them, go, I wonder what happened in their life that made them that way. You know, get curious and be empathetic toward them, right? Because that's an evidence that something has happened traumatic in their life. But for us, what we can clue in and say, okay, these triggers that, are, that I'm experiencing, these painful emotions, these are actually invitations from the Lord to dive into deeper healing. What if I could get some distance from these emotions? What if I could step back? And maybe you need other people, a trusted counselor, you know, good, strong, godly community to help you with this. But you begin to externalize those emotions, and then you can kind of get some distance and get pers- perspective. And then you can view your emotions actually through the lens of God's word to reframe those emotions. And what that does is it provides a healing salve to your soul. It actually, uh, physiologically, what it does is it begins to rewire neural pathways in your brain, which alludes to Romans 12, right? That says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of our mind happens, right? There's neural pathways that get out of whack in our, in our brain. God created our brain to survive in trauma situations. Mm-hmm. But he also created our brain that through the power of God's word, we can heal in those situations. So now we don't have to walk around viewing life through a painful grief trauma lens. We can view it through a victory lens, a resurrection lens, right? And being very honest and, and vulnerable and real about our emotions, but also healing through, through them as well. That's the concept of run toward the roar. That's powerful. <laughs> That's good. So you said good. something that uh, r- really caught my attention. 
stepping back from your emotion yeah. and giving yourself some space, but that seems like a very hard thing to do. It's very difficult to do. And it typically has to be facilitated. You know, my, uh, my father-in-law, my late wife's dad, he's a pastor. He's a certified biblical counselor through ACBC. Um, and he would readily admit this. He's talked about this on our podcast. He thought that he could apply his own counseling training and certification to himself. And he realized through his own grief journey, he couldn't. Mm-hmm. You need someone else to facilitate this for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why now that's what we that's what we do. We want to help other people to facilitate that for folks through the power of the local church. Yeah. We also want to we have coaches that help people facilitate that. But you kind of need someone who's not in the minutia of all of your emotions mm-hmm. to be able to step back and go, hey, let's talk about that. Let's explore that. Let me ask some questions about that so that you can begin to dive into some stuff and begin to see things through a different lens. Mm-hmm. We're talking to uh, Pastor Davey Blackburn, how to turn your pain into purpose. And uh, we'll be back uh, with some more uh, conversation with Pastor Davey. By the way, if you have a question maybe for Pastor Davey, uh, you can text that to us at the studio line. And we'll, uh, we'll read it to him and ask him if he, if he can respond. 855-887-8870 if you want to text a question. And uh, we'll be back with Pastor Davey in a minute. That is Jason Gray. Nothing is wasted on the Bridge Morning Show. We're Bill and Denise. Pastor Davy Blackburn is in the studio with us uh, from Indiana. That's right. Well, you're via South. Were you South Carolina? Is I was in yeah. Alabama before that. And you were a uh, college roommate with Pastor with Kenneth. Pastor Kenneth, that's right. From United Church. How yep. about that? We played college baseball together and brothers from another mother. <laughs> Actually, we were just tracking yep. this back. We both were saved on the same day. No kidding. April 1st, 1994. While I'm growing what? up in Alabama, he grew up wow. in North Carolina. We were also called to ministry the wow. exact same message at the exact same conference, not knowing each other. Oh, no. my goodness. Wesleyan Youth Convention in 2003 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. Dr. Earl Wilson preaching a message. <laughs> About that. And we both get wow. called to ministry at the same time. So God we, was knitting your hearts together even absolutely. then. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to um, read part of a text that I just got. Yeah. Um, so good listening to Pastor Davey. I'm in pain to purpose right now. Mm. Whew, I don't know why this is. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought it was going to help me take uh, take it to the next level, which it did. But I didn't know that while in the program, something pretty major was going to happen with one of my kids. Mm. Uh, pain to purpose so helping me to, and my family to navigate the situation and come through it much quicker. Please thank Pastor Davey for me. And I hope I can meet him tonight at the P2P meeting. Wow. So he's going to be there tonight. Yeah. Right? Wow. Uh, tell us about that, Pain to Purpose, and the, yeah. what you're doing with that. Yeah, well, Pain to Purpose came about, you know, in 2019, um, my wife now, and we can get into any of that that you want to, but I have since remarried, and we've blended our family, and there's just a beautiful redemption story thread within all of that. In 2019, we felt like the Lord was telling us to step away from the church we were pastoring to help the church know how to help people heal. And we didn't really understand what that looked like. And so all I was doing was traveling and speaking. It's like, well, I can at least make a living by sharing my story at other people's churches, you know, and I can provide mm-hmm. for my family doing that. And in the meantime, we started coaching people one-on-one and some things we saw, uh, there were some things that emerged. Um, we were doing a podcast called the nothing is wasted podcast. We had started that in two, 2017 where we interview people who had gone through really painful things and they share how God stepped into their story and what he began to do in their story. Can I, can I start with the, the yeah. song we just played nothing is wasted yeah. with Jason Gray? Did, 
Did he know you? Do you know him? No, I that... had never heard that song. I just put my headphones in right now. Oh. I was like, wow, what a song. That's amazing. <laughs> it's powerful. Yeah, okay. ask me about that in a second as yes. soon as we finish I'm this. Sorry. Yeah. Why nothing is wasted because it, oh, does, yeah. it is related to a song, and I'll tell you a powerful <laughs> moment that God showed up for us. But um, the but as we were as I was traveling, speaking, coaching people, interviewing people on the podcast, some threads emerged, some patterns emerged where I started seeing, you know, there's some common denominators no matter what kind of pain, loss, trauma people are dealing with. There's some biblical handholds for healing. And so I started using those biblical handholds to coach people one-on-one. And then we saw that it was unsustainable. I can't coach everybody, right? So we're like, well, let's develop a course and just kind of let people do it as a self-directed study. And then we did that in 2019, started kind of selling that course online. And then pastors approached us and said, hey, can we launch this in our church as like a small group environment? And I'm yeah. like, you know, that hadn't occurred to me, but that's ama- that's brilliant. And here's yeah. why. Because for so long, the church has not known how to handle pain. And typically what happens is you end up kind of outsourcing that and going like, you know, and I know this is a pastor, right? And pastor conversations like, you know, someone came up to me and I just didn't know how to handle this. I didn't know what to do about it. I really have a heart for them. I want and desire for them to be shepherded through this, but I just don't know what to do. So I need to send them to a counselor and counseling is phenomenal. We endorse counseling. We want people to see counseling. But there is right now a long wait list for a lot of counselors. It's very difficult to find a good counselor that's a strong biblical counselor. Sometimes cost is a barrier. And a lot of times churches, you know, aren't supplementing that. They don't know how to, you know, so there's a lot of barriers to that. So that's why a lot of people won't go to counseling, even though they should go to counseling. So so we started thinking, what if we could create kind of a stopgap for that in some ways? What if we create a very affordable way for someone to go through essentially a year's worth of counseling within the context of their spiritual community? So they're doing this back in the local church with the people that they're doing life with. Mm. And these discussions are getting facilitated by people who are trained in this. And so that's what the Pain to Purpose course is now. Mostly we're launching it in churches so that we can bring that healing conversation back into the local church and empower pastors and church leaders to facilitate those conversations. So I know this is happening at United, but it can be at any church. That's right. Anybody can do this. Any church. Absolutely. Yep. So So before we move on, how do we – How do how does somebody find that program? How do we edit? Yeah. If you go to nothingiswasted.com, there's a tab there that says four churches. That's the best way to go and find that. You can also go to um, mypaintopurposeplan.com, but it's probably best to just go to nothingiswasted.com. <laughs> okay. You know, yeah. nothingiswasted.com. There's a tab that says four churches. Click on that and, and it'll take you to information about that. We actually do a Zoom call for pastors and church leaders every Thursday, just about every Thursday. The holiday seasons are coming up, so we're going to have a little bit of a disruption with that, but mm-hmm. every Thursday where if they're interested in it, they can schedule to jump on that Zoom call. It's not a webinar. We actually talk to you face-to-face. We ask mm-hmm. questions, see how we can serve you and help you, awesome. and we kind of help you think about how that could be implemented in the spiritual discipleship yeah. flow of your church. Tremendous. You said remind you to back up and yeah. talk about nothing is wasted. Yeah, you know, one of the things I really love to help people see is look for God in your story. He's going to show up in the midst of the deep, dark pain of your story. And while we're sitting, the 24 hours that we were waiting test results to come back for Amanda, I was sitting in the hospital. On either side of the bed was was me and her sister. Ironically, the same sides of the bed that we were sitting in just 15 months earlier when um, Weston was was being brought into the world, you know, and so here's her sister, here am I, and we're just in a complete different state of mind now, just awaiting, yeah. like, what in the world's going on? We knew that if Amanda was in any at, in, in any way conscious of what's going on, she was unconscious, but if she could, like, if there was something that she was aware of, she would want to listen to worship music. 
she took runs all the time. She listened to elevation worship music. She put it on Pandora radio station and just let that be in her ears while she's running. And so we decided to we grab a phone. We put it on Pandora radio station, uh, Elevation Worship, and Pandora is randomized. You, you know, it did, you don't get to determine what song comes first, but the first song that popped up as we're sitting there is the song, Nothing is Wasted by Elevation Worship. Mm-hmm. And it's like this sacred moment where God t- reaches down in that hospital in the most gristly dark, agonizing moment of our life, and God just whispers to our soul. I mean, look at Amber, her sister, and we just start welling up with tears. It's like we both knew the Lord was saying, this isn't going to turn out the way that you guys are hoping that it would, but I promise you I'll walk with you and I promise you this will not be wasted. Mm. And very soon after that, when she did pass away, God reminded me of the beautiful metaphor that was Amanda's life. You know, her hobby was to go and pick up furniture that other people had discarded and she would redo that furniture and sell it at antique shows. It was something that she absolutely loved doing, you know, and so she'd call me as I'm coming home from work. She'd say, hey, there's this chest of drawers or whatever that's sitting outside of Meridian. And uh, can you go pick that up? And I pick it up. I'm like, what in the world is she going to do with this? This is a this is garbage right here. Right. Someone had thrown it out and discarded it. They thought it was not worth anything. I'd bring it home and I'd ask. I looked at her. I said, Why, what are you going to do with this? And she's like, Davey, trust me. Give me a little time and I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the Lord reminded me of that that week. He said, just like Amanda saw something in this discarded piece of furniture, what the world is saying, this is senseless. This nothing good could come of this. Trust me, give me a little time and I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. Mm. And that's where nothing is wasted came out of. Hmm. May I read another text? Uh, This is from Andy. Uh, I'd like to say thank you for your amazing testimony. I lost my wife. In 2006, to lung cancer, I ran from God towards him. I was mad and angry. I guess instead of towards him, I was mad and I was angry. Mm. But God has a way of picking each piece of your broken heart and putting it back together. Wow. God broke my walls down and built me back up and made me a better man. I want to say thank you again for sharing your testimony wow. with us. Wow. You probably hear that story a lot where you get angry yep. with God. You get become bitter. Yep. And you turn from God. Is that part of the process? Doesn't need to be part yeah. of the process. Actually, I would say it does need to be part of the process. And the more I see it, the more I, I encourage people to not be afraid of those emotions that typically wouldn't be accepted in church. I think a lot of times we stifle those emotions that because we're human, mm-hmm. we feel these things. Actually, our emotions were given to us by God. We see in the form of Jesus that Jesus was an emotional person. Right now, he understood how to act out of his emotions through the lens of a a godly response. Right, but he felt all the things. This is the beauty about Jesus. He subjected himself to the fullness of the human experience. There is no other religious leader or religion that testifies to having their quote unquote savior that does that. Everybody else is a far aloof God, right? Mm -hmm. Transcendent, can't be touched, can't be reached. Jesus said, no, I'm going to condescend and I'm going to come and be human with you. I'm going to face all the temptations, all the fears, all the anxieties, all the pain, in fact, to the nth degree that you face, not only to, to, to just show you how to walk through this, but also so that you have a high priest that empathizes with you, that gets it, that understands, and to invite you to not be afraid of the human experience, but let me transform that human experience. And so I tell people, 
Actually, the Lord wants you to take those emotions, the raw, real emotions, the anger, the rage, the vitriol, the frustration, the embarrassment, the grief, the heartache, the pain, take it to him. So instead of taking that, bottling it up and running away from him, take it to him. And just like Jacob wrestled with God, wrestle with God. That's actually the most formative part of our faith is wrestling with God. When what we see does not line up with what God says, that's when faith gets forged. And if we take it to him and we wrestle with him, wrestle with him, wrestle with God, I just, I don't get this. I don't understand this. God will show up in those moments in powerful, profound ways. And he'll reveal to you the mysteries of himself, the character of him that nobody else can reveal to you. And there is a personal thing that happens, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that personally touches you. Guys, I, I can, if I were to share some things that the Lord revealed to me in grief, you guys would look at me like, that's kind of crazy, Davey. That's kind of weird. But what it did is it mended my heart and stitched me to trusting God more because he revealed it to me personally. He has a right. custom mm-hmm. designed uh, discipleship pathway for you if you take this stuff to him. And you begin to trust him more than you ever could trust anybody else. And you begin to look to him more than anybody else. And just like Jacob wrestling with God, there might be a broken hip, hip that comes out of it, but there's mm. always going to be a blessing too. Yeah. I uh, was hesitating on whether or not to bring this up. Personal experience for me, I um, in 2013, my son was just about two months from graduating high school. And he made a choice to drop out of school, moved out of the house. We came home one night from a church service to find his keys on the counter and a note, a mm. short note saying, I just, I just need to get out. Mm. And um, for a couple of weeks, we didn't even know where he was. And that it was just so traumatic. Uh, I totally hear what you're saying about what, you go through as a child my parents have great faith and i really attribute the fact that i could hang on to mm-hmm. you know what i learned as a child to trust god in that because it was really hard i had those emotions of i have been in ministry for so long god and we had a deal yeah you're going to take care of my family and i'm going to serve you yep. and i had a really hard time and yep. so i i kind of put it in a box and um, there were triggers along the way but I just kind of learned to cope with it but the hardest thing for me was the book of Job I love the Bible and uh, I love to study God's word but man I just couldn't I was so mad about Job I was so mad I was like how can you read the last chapter and say well God gave him more kids and he got all this stuff and Everything's well, what, fine now. What happened to the kids he lost yeah, at the beginning? Exactly. I was so traumatized by that and, yeah. and just mad. And so um, 2020, during COVID, mm. I determined that, that was I was going to wrestle with God through yeah. Job, the book of Job. And I got really into studying that. And I'll never forget one, one night just sitting there. I was writing in my journal, and part of the study was also drawing in some things that Peter had gone through. Mm. And uh, the question was about Peter and Job both uh, having to walk through these things. And I said, it's just not fair because they'll never be the same. Yeah. And I heard God whisper, I didn't want them to stay the same. Wow. And in that moment, I felt like he had given me the answer Mm. To what it's, it's like there isn't really an answer for what we go There's through. Not. 
Um, but the thing that we can really count on is that God has a purpose yeah. and he takes the pain, the things that we go through that, that just don't make any sense That's right. in this world. Right. But he makes something so much more beautiful out of it if we'll trust him. That's exactly right. And that he, his intention is not for us to stay the same. Right. That's part of the growth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He grows us in these processes. You know, yeah. I look at my son, my three-year-old son now, who is, you know, a result of this blended family, this new marriage. And I just adore him. I, you know, I look at him and I'm just like, oh, my heart just like, oh, I just love you to death. And then yeah. I had this stark reality of knowing you would not be in my life had it not been for the most awful, horrific thing that I've mm-hmm. walked through. And losing the most important person to me in my life. Yeah. So I'm holding in, in two hands at the same time this agonizing, painful, horrible loss and this beautiful, amazing, redemptive gain. Mm. And sometimes you don't know how to hold those in, at the same time. But the reality of walking with the Lord in this world is that that is the human experience when we mm. trust him. And Elizabeth Elliot said it so beautifully. You know, Elizabeth Elliot, if you don't know her story, what a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. You know, losing her husband, Jim, on the mission field, yeah. and then going back in and ministering to the perpetrators, the ones that murdered yeah. him, seeing that unreached people group saved. Unbelievable story. But she said this after losing two of her husbands. She said, I'm learning the gain of loss, which seems paradoxical, right? The right. gain of loss. And she expounds on it. She says, you know, when you, when you experience loss, what you lose or what you gain in relationship with the giver far outweighs the loss of the gift. Mm. Say that again. What you gain in relationship with the giver far outweighs the loss of the gift. And so even when you look at the book of Job, you try to bring some kind of, you patch it up and try to clean it up at the end where you go, well, at least he'd like, God brought back double, right? But that's not the, that's not the profound nature of the book of Job. The profound nature of the book of Job is right before that, where he recognizes who God really is. When God goes, Hey Job, let me just, let me just whisper to you who I am. And Job all of a sudden comes into this moment where he goes, Oh God, I trust you Mm. and I love you. And no matter what. Whether I don't have anything yeah. or whether I have a lot, I'm content in you. That is richer than anything else this world could bring us. Mm. Now, God's sweet. He sweetens the deal and puts icing on the cake, right? Yeah. He, he restores sevenfold what the thief has stolen from us. But the real true, the real true gift is the giver. Amen. Our uh, guest in the studio is Pastor Davey Blackburn. Pastor Davey, unimaginably lost his wife and unborn daughter to a home invasion. Uh, was it Davey seven years ago? Yeah, 2015. Mm-hmm. And um, Davey has a ministry uh, now where he's helping people find pain. I'm sorry, purpose from their pain. We all have enough pain, Davey. We don't need help. That's fu- true. Finding it right. Sometimes we do need help finding it because we've pushed it down so much. All right. Wow. You know, run to the roar. I'll never, right. I'll never forget that. That's what a great, mm. great analogy. Um, pastor Kenneth Wagner, lead pastor at United Church. I've asked him to come up to the mic. Hi, Ken, Kenneth. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, pastor Kenneth is uh, my pastor and, uh, I um, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, you guys have been best friends since college. Is That's that right? right? Since orientation. Like, That's right. Wow. Freshman orientation. Man. And literally best friends, yep. not just like, hey, we're good friends. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I ad- admire the bond you guys have and the yes. relationship you guys have. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But first, let's go back to something you said, Davey, and that is the, the importance of having a strong foundation before you yeah. go through a traumatic experience like yeah. this. 
And I'm going to ask both of you as pastors, how, so how do, how do I get that foundation if, and, um, if, and if, you know, how do I build one if I don't have one? Right. And how do I help, help my kids build one? So great. Let, let me quote Go the ahead. theologian, Davy Blackburn, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> now, but one thing that he said one time that literally I've never forgotten is you have to prepare for the battles that you're not yet in. You have to prepare for the battles that you're not yet in mm-hmm. because there's a battle in front of us, right. mm-hmm. every single one of us. And we don't know what that battle is going to be. We don't know how big that mountain's going to feel or to seem. Yep. But we have to prepare for the battle right now, knowing that there's one, there's a battle ahead. Yep. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm so burdened about is uh, church attendance. And I'm, I'm a pastor and, and uh, you know, the, it kind of rings true to me. And the reason that I'm burdened about church attendance is not necessarily for the parents. Uh, I relate to what what Davey said earlier that I had a drug problem. My mom and dad <laughs> drug me to church, and we, we joke about that. But the foundations that were laid in my life, mm. this on. scripture, I mean, like, I'm working with my, my six-year-old son on, on memorizing scripture. He goes yeah. to Delmarva Christian, and he's memorizing scripture, and it's just like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Like, he just he can just internalize these mm-hmm. scriptures. So and good. at 36, I can't do what, what he's right. doing at six. And I'm thinking about some of the parents that, you know, are showing up to church once every three weeks yeah. or once a month and, and they have the foundations. Right. And so when their world gets rocked, they have the foundations, but I start, I'm so burdened. I found myself recently mm. in tears over this, over this generation that they're, they're literally showing up once a month or right. once every three weeks and they're not getting the foundations that, right. that we got that has prepared us so, so that as we walk through the tragedy and, and the, mm. the down seasons of our life, we, we, can, we have a scripture to draw from. There's a recall. But, yep. but what about fast forward 15 years from now, our five-year-olds Come on. that are coming to church once a month, what are they going to have to draw from? Yeah, yeah. And I am, That's I'm right. like, I'm sick. I'm sick over it. I'm yeah. not like sick mm-hmm. of it. I'm sick. Of, like I'm, as a pastor, I just like, I want to like, and it, and it sounds so as a pastor is like, of course, like you're just right. trying to get attendance up in your church, come to church every week. No, like I literally want to shout from the rooftops. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you come to United church, any other, any church Somewhere. that's preaching the word of that's God right. and standing yeah. on Jesus and Christ crucified and resurrected. And, and we can, we can agree on the, the things that, that really matter, yeah. man, be in a Bible preaching that's Jesus right. believing church so that our kids have a fighting chance. Come on. Yeah. I, I, you can sense the passion coming out in me. It's because it's, the, it's like a, I'm, I'm just fired up yeah. about this, yeah. that I, I so want our children to know Jesus yeah. and not just know about him, but at a deep rooted level, because I'm telling you, when you go through what I, I remember where I was sitting, when I found out what happened to Amanda, um, and I, I just, what's in you at that point yep. is all that's going to be in you. Yep. Mm-hmm. What and what's in you, you comes out of you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have any time to prepare nope. when it all hits the fan. That's right. When you feel like you are, you have bottomed out what is in you will come out of you. Yep. And you are squeezed to, to the point of where you feel like there's nothing left in you. It will only be what God has formed in you That's right. in the years prior. There's a massive misappropriation of priorities right now. And, and there's a huge cultural pressure for this. I'm feeling it as a parent now of like a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a three-year-old, especially when it comes to like sports or extracurricular activities that conflict with church. And you see all this like, you know, I well, I'll pick on travel baseball or something, right? But Kenneth and I, we we're baseball players, college baseball players. We loved it. It was our life. We absolutely loved it. 
However, back when we grew up, it was different. There was not that that uh, obtuse conflict between yeah. baseball and church. Right now, it's like yeah. man, it's just there's this intense pressure. The problem is, is when everything hits the fan in your life, travel baseball is not going to rescue you. Jeez, right, right. And what typically happens is parents will have their kids going to all of these different things, right? And then when something bad does happen, some crisis happens, they're like, try to bring their kid to church and say, fix my kid, you know? And you're like, yeah, yeah we, we should have started on this a long time ago, you know? And yeah. Kenneth was a youth pastor for a long time. I was a youth pastor for a long time. I can't tell you how many times I saw that, right? Especially these teenagers just like, man, we could have started this back when they were three, four, five years old and really laid some foundations. That's so good. Mm-hmm. That's you know. so good and important. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. Somebody listening that didn't grow up yeah. with the privilege that all of us in this room did, yeah. going to church, getting this as a, as a young person, yeah. but they're experiencing the trauma right now. Maybe sure. they just found the bridge, but they don't have that, yeah. that foundation. Yeah. What do they do, Davey? Yeah, well, what you're describing is more common than what we described right. earlier, right. right? And that's what we're, we're consistently working with people in. Um, one of the things about pain and trauma is that it intercepts people in uh, the most horrific moments of their life. But it's also an unbelievable way for God to draw their heart and to mend and restore some of those uh, fractured foundations from earlier on in their childhood. And so, you know, what you're describing is my wife now, that's her story. You know, she shared it very publicly on, on our podcast, episode 100 of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast about her childhood trauma and a dad that was abusive and abandoned her. And, you know, she is walking out right now a restorative process, a mending process every single day where she's kind of re- restoring some of those fractured foundations. But the uh, I think the most important part of that component of that is to surround yourself with other people, men and women of faith who did maybe did have those foundations mm-hmm. or who those fractured foundations have been mended, which goes right back to how important it is to be in strong, godly Christian community, right? Because an emotionally latent trauma is going to be healed through an emotionally latent experience with the Holy Spirit, okay? You don't heal an emotionally latent trauma through a cerebral understanding of scripture, right? A foundation is refurbished or re, is reoriented uh, through what Jesus described in Matthew chapter 7, where he said that storms will come for mm-hmm. people. And there are two types of people, one that builds their house on the rock, one that builds their house on the sand. The storm was not biased. It came for both. But one of those houses stood. The house on the rock stood. And I usually ask people, what was the rock? And people are like, Jesus, right? That's the answer in church. And I'm like, well, actually, no, that's not the rock. And I know that sounds heretical, but that, if you look closely at Jesus' words, he said, those who, he- who hear my words and put them into practice are like a wise man who will build his house on the rock. And though the storms come, it will not fall. Their house will not fall. Mm-hmm. Jesus said two very distinct things. You have to hear his words and put them into practice. And when you start to hear and understand God's word cerebrally, and then you put them into practice experientially, you encounter the Holy Spirit, you take those faith steps, even though they don't make sense, God begins to mend some of the fractured foundations that were in your past. Mm. And so that happens through borrowing other people's faith, hearing testimonies of faith, being in that Christian community, saturated in it. So you're like, well, okay, if God can do that in that person's life, I don't know if I know the God that you're talking about right now quite yet, but I can get to know that God and I can learn to trust that God and I can, and we're walking this yeah. thing out together. And that's how healing and mending happens. That's awesome. Mm. goes back to the church. goes back to that's Jesus right. and the foundation. Yeah. 
So, um, Pastor Kenneth, while you're while you're sitting up here at the microphone, um, and I want both of you to answer this question: how How can I be a good friend to somebody who is experiencing or has experienced trauma? Mm. Mm. That is such a good question. I think the first thing is to not try to fix that person. Mm. I think for whatever reason, as Christians, our tendency is to think that we're supposed to have the right answer, right? Guilty, yeah. And it's because it makes us feel uncomfortable, right, if we don't have the right answer. We experience, encounter, hear about, you know, someone, our friends share something like this has happened, and we're like, (gasps) and we kind of freak out a little bit. I feel uncomfortable. That doesn't fit inside the Christian box that I have, and so now I need to give you the right answer, the right scripture, the right Bible verse, and maybe see if I can just patch this up and mend this right here so I can get on with things. Because journeying with someone over a long haul while they're Mm -hmm. being repaired and mended, uh, that's difficult. Yeah. You know, I say that sometimes God heals and poof. That's what we want him to do is like, <laughs> boom, poof, he heals. Right. And, and sometimes he does. Right. We have all heard those testimonies where it's like a radical, like just about face. Kind yeah. of. Most of the time, 99% of the time, I would say God heals in process. And as believers, we have to learn how to empathize, be compassionate. Compassion means to suffer with. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how we adopt the nature of Jesus that we are a compassionate healer in the sense of we, we're, we're willing to step in and suffer with and be present. The ministry of presence far outweighs any other kind of ministry, Amen. spoken ministry that we, can, that we can do in someone's life. Um, I always have to be careful about this, but you know, the old Jewish tradition talks about this practice of the sitting Shiva. I have to be careful when I say that, okay? <laughs> the sitting Shiva. And all that was is when someone experienced a loss or a trauma or they're in grief, mm-hmm. you just went and sat with them. Oh, yeah. You mourned wow. with them. In, in sackcloth and ashes, you just oh. sat with them. Job's friends did a great job for seven days. They just sat with them. Mm-hmm. After seven days, they tried to give them an explanation, yeah. some kind of reason. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they're... A lot of for a lot of our grief and trauma, there's no explanation. Nothing is going to provide consolation here on this earth. Yeah. Even though we're asking God, why, 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 why? And I think that's an important question to ask God, right? We gotta go there. But any explanation God can give us is still not gonna suffice. Mm-hmm. What we need is we need restoration. And restoration happens through the ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. When God shows up and when he shows up through the pe- through the through the people of God. Yeah, ministry of presence is literally, go ahead, Denise. I was just going to say, and that is such a beautiful gift when it's, when it's so purely given, Mm. that ministry of presence is priceless. That's right. I feel like one of the worst things that people can do in times of grief is, is actually talk. That's right. (laughs) Because we, so many times I've found myself, I've put my foot in my mouth been unable to get out of what I was trying to say. I'm trying to help, but I'm, I can see on the person's face, I'm not helping. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest things I was getting emotional, even as Bill was asking that question, because like, I just feel the ministry of presence. I remember, I remember where I was, I went home, I told Sherry what had happened. We got, we started packing. That's right. I refused to pack funeral clothes. Mm. Mm. I just remember praying and believing driving to Indy and just believing that God was going to do a miracle and just I wanted to be there and then when the trial came I wanted to be there yeah and um and you were there yeah I was there yeah and I you know we all live full lives and uh everybody listening has 
I don't I don't use the word busy because everybody's busy. We all have full lives, but mm. dude, there are some things that are just mm. worth being there for the people that matter. That's right. And sometimes we have to just move things, clear calendars, clear yeah. schedules, and just be there. Yeah. Don't talk. <laughs> just be there. Seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I heard a beautiful story. A little uh, a neighbor uh, lost his wife. Elderly man lost his wife. Little boy went over next door, and the mom saw him go over. And he came back, and she said, what did you say to him, to the mm-hmm. neighbor? And he said, nothing. I just helped him cry. Hmm. <laughs> we got a lot to learn. Yeah. Yep. A lot to learn there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. You know, if someone, you're going to find yourself in those moments. You're going to feel awkward, I promise you. People consider me the pain expert, and I, every time I still feel awkward when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, when someone shares their story with me. Yeah. And so what I've learned, there's a skill right involved with with just if you need to fill that space at all just fill it with a couple of things i'm so sorry yeah i know this is so difficult for you i love you and i'm here for you Hmm. i don't have any answers for you but i'm here for you that simply that right there just validating how difficult this is for them reflecting that back now you can learn skills and that's one of the things we really train a lot of our coaches and facilitators in fact the couple that's traveling with us doing some film stuff for pain to purpose his wife is one of our coaches particularly for sexual betrayal and she is masterful at reflecting you know she just hey that sound what i'm hearing from you is this and this sounds like you're feeling this is that is that true and and it like she just draws it out of you and i'm like man you're so good at this this is amazing. it's a skill to be learned right yeah. to sit with someone and to draw that out of them mm-hmm. um can i read a question yeah. it came in via text it says i'm in ministry and working with someone who is stuck in grief and childhood trauma any tips to get unstuck mm. Mm. um can I speak from a pastor? Please do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when I, I think of the pain to purpose course, it has revolutionized our church. It literally has revolutionized our church. And so I hear this ministry leader asking this question. This is not a. This is not a. At the risk of sounding like I'm trying to sell something, I'm going to. I, I'm going to say that is this is one of the greatest things that we've ever implemented in our church. We've had probably a hundred people at this point, well over a hundred people, go through pain to purpose and get off the sideline of just sitting in their pain and begin to walk through that, work through that, and then to k- plug themselves back into purpose. And like, so the course is is so good of, of helping people really be able to reframe some of that pain. And uh, I, I can't answer the exact question, but I think that the course so good. will help a just a multiple of people. When you create a culture of that, where it becomes, you know, acceptable, it, where someone can come forward and be honest, right? That helps, especially if you're a ministry leader. Yeah. When it becomes knit into the DNA of like, this is, this is, it's okay to come forward and say, hey, I need help, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes people are stuck because they feel oppressed in the environment they're in where it's like, if I tell people about this or if I talk about this, is, right. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm scared of what's, what could happen. And so there's so much in trauma that is a fight or flight mentality, Right, they're no longer folks who are in trauma. That they're in survival brain. They are operating straight out of the amygdala. Right, the um, the prefrontal cortex has shut down. The prefrontal cortex is our reasoning, rational side of the brain, and so we're stuck in that loop right there. And so that's what's happening. They're afraid. They're scared, and that's most of the time. That's why someone is stuck. Now, sometimes some people get stuck because they just enjoy being kind of a victim. 
Yeah. You know, or they're afraid. Honestly, I think a lot of people enjoy being a victim because they don't. They're afraid of what it looks like to be victorious. Mm. They're like, I'm, I know what it looks like to be a victim. Wow. I know what it looks like to garner pity. I don't know what it looks like. Like the man in John chapter five, who's like, I've sat on my mat for 38 years. I don't know what the implications are. If I yeah. get up off my mat, now I got to go get a job and now I got to make a living for my family. And now I got to right? It's like, that's uncomfortable for me. So sometimes people are stuck mm. with that. So I think just understanding where they're coming from goes a long ways getting empathy, hearing their story, walking with them in that, and not trying to push the pace beyond what they are able to, to do. So much unlocks when someone feels understood, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, that's a really helpful thing. The other thing I, I found, I know this sounds trite, this probably sounds very Christian, prayer is very powerful. And I don't mean like, let me pray over you because you're stuck in your childhood. No, I mean like in your prayer closet, interceding on that person's behalf Mm -hmm. like there's something that shifts when you just when you are just going to the lord and saying hey lord i'm praying for this person and i'm just begging on their behalf that you there you would bring if it's not me that you would bring someone or something along that would dislodge them from where they're stuck and that would propel them forward into the next phase of this journey my experience has been when i do that the compassion that i feel for that person just deepens And then the ministry of presence is even more powerful for both of us because I'm feeling a lot of that. I'm 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 in it to win it with that person, you know. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Davy, the guy that um, that killed your wife was just sentenced, uh, found guilty, and sentenced just a matter of weeks ago. That's right. After seven years, yeah. Um, I have uh, so many questions. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> um, so you were in the room with him, yeah. In the in the courtroom, Pastor Kenneth was there. That's as well. right. How? What was that? I mean, how? How could you do? I mean, how? Yeah. You had to do that. But what was that like? Yeah, that was the first time that I was in a ro- in a room with him. You know, um, just to set some context, the other two guys, the ones that were not the shooter but the 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 accomplices, they had arranged plea agreements with the prosecution to testify against the shooter. So I had prior to that been in rooms with the other two guys through hearings and stuff like that. This was the first time I had been in the room with the shooter. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I wasn't sure how that was going to be. You know, the way things were constructed as well as there's a separation of a law called the separation of witnesses. I was testifying, I was subpoenaed to testify as a witness. So the first time that I was going to actually be in the room with this man was not, you know, when the trial, when the the trial proceedings start and he walks through the room, it was actually when I walked through the room after some time, like a half a day of the trial and I walk into the room and I sit at the witness stand and I have to look straight at him and answer questions from the prosecution. So to be honest with you, I like, I was, I was a bit frightened of that moment. Like it was going to be something I couldn't handle. But what I'd learned, what I've learned up to this point in some, in the seven years that, you know, in the process of this is that those moments that are bigger than what we can handle are the exact moments that the Lord rushes in. As long as we don't try to step up and be Superman in those moments, yeah. right? We just let the Lord. So I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I just want you to like do whatever you need to do in this. Let me respond however you want me to respond. And uh, if I need to feel emotion, let me feel emotion. If I don't, don't, don't let me, you know, let, and, and what we had been praying for up to that moment was that there would be a palpable sense of the Holy Spirit felt by everyone in that room 
that the judge, that the bailiffs, that there was no jury, it was a bench trial, but that everybody else in the gallery, that the defense, that everybody would be like, there's something different about this trial mm-hmm. right here. And I felt that. I felt that there was a very real sense of God's presence there. And, um, you know, sometimes those moments, especially, you know, perpetrators in our life, there can be a power that we've, that, that feels like is lording over us. And we are afraid of that, you know, and that's, that's what I experienced. But when you step into that and lean into that and you recognize that there is an authority that lives in you that is greater than the authority Mm -hmm. in this world, right? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Mm -hmm. That out of that authority, you can actually stand and look at your perpetrators and you can adopt the heart of Jesus that looked out from the cross and said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, right? What kind of a heart is that, that while he's being crucified, Mm -hmm can look at his perpetrators in the eyes Mm -hmm. and have compassion on them. And so that's not achievable by human effort. It's only receivable by the power of God. And so that's what I experienced. I wish I had a formula for that. (laughs) I don't. I don't have a formula. To be honest with you, the Lord showed up. There's been a whole lot of thoughts that I've had in terms and things I've had to wrestle through when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to how I feel about the shooter versus how I feel about the other guys, the levels of remorse that I witnessed in them that, you know, and there's so much complication within that. We can't whitewash anything and go, well, you're forgiven. You know I mean? Yes, we are called to forgive mostly because if we hang on to bitterness and resentment, it's going to eat us up, right? It's going to destroy us. And then everybody that we love around, it oozes out of you. If you don't let God transform your pain, you transfer it to other people. Mm, yeah. And you usually transfer it to the people you love. True. And it destroys them and it creates this generation, a generational sin cycle that you have now, you have now perpetuated because pain perpetuates pain by default, Mm -hmm. unless the Lord steps in and does something, you allow him to do something. And so, yeah, we're called to forgive, but there's a whole lot of complexity even within that calling to forgive. Yeah. What do you do with the person, the perpetrator who doesn't show remorse? You're willing to forgive. Yeah. And that person, knowing that mm-hmm. they have hurt you and mm. really, really destroyed yep. a part of your life, yep. shows no remorse. Yep. That's probably one of the most difficult times to forgive. You know, contrasting that, I'll come back to that in a second, but contrasting that, I experienced that one of the other perpetrators, one of the accomplices, in a moment in his sentencing where he had the opportunity to speak to the judge, his family, to us, whatever he wanted to do, to plead to the judge to have a lesser sentencing, he didn't talk to the judge, didn't talk to his family, turned around, looked at me, and for two and a half minutes could not compose himself. He was weeping. And he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I could have stopped this. And I, to hear you, I had read a statement in that hearing where I told him, hey, I don't hold this against you. I forgive you. And I shared the gospel with him. And he said, to hear you forgive me. I can't live with myself with this. I would hate me if I were you. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe that you've offered that to me. And he's just weeping, right? That softened my heart. That gave me this like, and I don't know how I'm going to do this. I can't tell you. I'm not over here like beating my chest as some Superman. I literally have no idea how I'm going to do this. But I feel like the Lord said, just like Elizabeth Elliot went into, you're supposed to go visit him in prison. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, that's my next run toward the roar is to oh. go visit him in prison. <laughs> sure. I didn't feel that with the shooter. He had zero remorse. 
a very seared conscience, a very oppressive spirit in that in that room. And I wrestle with that because honestly, if I'm just going to be very frank, I'm like, I know that Jesus responds, but I want this man to go away for life. Mm-hmm. And is it okay for me to want that? And to still offer forgiveness in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. And forgiveness I've found is my part. It's the part of me saying, I'm not going to hold it against this person because I'm going to actually put my, um, my pain in the hands of someone else that's higher, a higher authority, a higher judge, and that's Jesus. And that he ultimately is the greatest judge and the greatest avenger. Mm-hmm. That he can hold all of that stuff. And so I'm trusting it to him and I'm not going to take it into my own hands. Yeah. And so that's what forgiveness does. It says, God, I release this. Mm. I don't hold this against this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust it to you. But then reconciliation is not the same thing as forgiveness. Reconciliation requires contrition, remorse, uh, apology, right? right? Repentance. That's what reconciliation requires. So you can forgive and not experience that kind of remorse. And frankly, there are some people who their conscience has been so seared that they are a danger to society, to other people, and they need to experience the consequences of that in hopes to restore them. Mm. And I think when we come to ultimate forgiveness and compassion, our hope is the heart of Jesus and that that person would be restored. But our prayer to the end is, do whatever you need to do in their life to restore them back into right relationship with you so that they do feel that contrition and that remorse, that godly sorrow yeah. for what they've done. Davey, thank you. Yeah. Man, thank you. Uh, I'm so glad your parents gave you that foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your church yeah. gave amazing you that foundation. People. Yeah. What a, different, what a different outcome this would have been. Yeah. One of the most powerful things was at the end of the trial, after everything, the verdict was read, uh, one of the sheriffs who was a bailiff in the um, court, he called the family together and he said, um, and this was the Byers family and the Blackburn family. He said, I've, I've, never, I've never sensed a spirit like I sensed in the courtroom wow. for a trial like this in my entire career. Mm-hmm. This man was in his 50s. Yeah. He's, I've never, I mean, he, he, was a, he was a bear of a man, yeah, a massive was. man, yeah. but you could tell that the, the spirit had, yeah. he had communed with the spirit. A direct answer mm-hmm. to your prayer. Exactly. That's, right. that's yeah. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, yeah, that's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, um, let's, can you give some resources? Um, Absolutely. We, uh, yeah. And people that are listening, how do we, how do we get some of the materials yeah, that can scrape? You can always go to nothingiswasted.com. There's a lot of resources there. I will say this. If you not preferably not while you're driving, but if you text, <laughs> if you text a number, text, text the number six, six, eight, six, six, and you just text three letters, all capital N I W it stands for nothing is wasted. So N I W to six, six, eight, six, six. What it will do is it'll prompt you to then text back your, your name and your email address. Mm-hmm. And it'll start the process of 21 days of, of devotions being sent to you over the next 21 days. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, hey, if you want to just get started in this process, start figuring so, out how to unpack your pain, get unstuck. You know, we'll just send you a devotional every single day for 21 days. And, um, and, and that'll get you started in this process. That'd be the most important thing I think for you to do right now. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thank you very it's much. Been wonderful. I want to um, to our listeners, thank you. We've we I don't know in our twelve year history, we're twelve years old yesterday, mm. um, that we have ever broken format this much and talked this much um, and put the music aside. But I feel like uh, we were supposed to do that, mm-hmm. and uh, that God is gonna is gonna use this. And um, mm. 
if you want to, um, the number to text again, 66866 and text NIW for nothing is wasted. 21 day devotions. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, Pastor Kenneth, thank you for the introduction. And thank you, Davey. Yes. Thank you. Kenneth, and thank, thank you, you guys. Thank you for bringing us here on the bridge this morning.